Hey, thank you for checking out our uh, online sermon series. Uh, we're actually starting a new sermon series here at Coastal Community Church called Coastal Because. And as many of you know, we're getting ready to change locations. And, and change sometimes brings uh, a, a nervousness. And so uh, this series is designed to remind us w what we are, what we believe, uh, really what is in the DNA of Coastal. And that happens no matter where we meet. So I hope you'll join us for a six-week series called Coastal Because. One of the things we always want to remind you is that this, uh, these, these online videos, these online sermons are to be a supplement for your spiritual growth and uh, we have a deep conviction at Coastal Union Church that you should be a part of a local church and so if uh, you are in our area we would love for you to be a part of our local church we meet at 815 945 and 1115 and uh, we hope you'll join us for one of our services it should be no surprise to us at this point that that Coastal's in a, in a season of change in a, in a time of, of transition and, and that can naturally be uh, a stressful time for us as a, as a church body, change and transition, that, that never comes easily, that never comes naturally, and statistics show that around six months, all of us at some, in some shape, form, or fashion go through some major season of transition or, or change. And the heartbeat behind this series is, has been to communicate the things that, that aren't going to change as we move to a new location, the, the things that we, we can't change doctrinally. And not only that, but if we did change them, it would, it would be sinful. And Pastor Sean's desire in this series, and the upcoming one, is, has been to ensure that our focus and our attention as a church body, is, it, it's where it needs to be, which is the supremacy of Christ over, over all things. And the new building, it, it can, um, for us, it can quickly become idolatry, Right? And we have to guard against that as a church body. And this, this building, much like the building that we're currently in, it's, it's just a tool. Right? Although we're relocating to another location, the, the core of who we are, it, it, it can't change except for us conforming more and more into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So if any change occurs other than the, the strengthening of who we are in Christ, then, then we would be in rebellion against the God that we claim to serve. And so, so far in this series, what we've done is Pastor Sean kicked us off by discussing that the, the, the Coastal believes in the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture for all things pertaining to life and godliness. And by God's grace, we'll continue to, to grow more uh, in cherishing uh, that precious doctrine. Because if one day we, f we fail to believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that it's authoritative, that it's sufficient, then we can no longer have confidence in the God that we claim to worship. And we become nothing more than, than just a social club that gathers here on Sunday mornings. And Pastor Sean also communicated that, that our view of God will not change. Our view of God won't change because our view of God is rooted in the Word of God that doesn't change. God is. Amen. He's the great I am. We just sing about that this morning. He's unchangeable and his, and his plan and his purpose for this life and the next life, it can't be thwarted. It can't be shaken off track. 
And then Pastor Andrew, you define for us what the gospel is, the gospel according to 1 Corinthians 15. And I love it. It's so simple that a child can get it, but it's so, it's so deep and profound that we could spend the rest of our lives searching its riches out. But the gospel is that Christ died according to our sins, that he was, he was buried and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the gospel. And those who see their sin and repent of it and place their, their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, God promises that he's faithful to save them. And then last week, Pastor Sean taught on biblical leadership from 1 Peter 5. And he talk, talked about the, 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 the level of leadership that God requires of a biblical church, and that can't change at Coastal Community Church. We're stewards of this local congregation for a very short period of time, and God's called us to be good stewards of this congregation. And this morning, what I want to do is, is keep with First Peter, and I just want to go to a, a, an earlier chapter in chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, you can, you can go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter 2. And over the next 30 minutes or so, I, I want to savor the truth that, that, that no matter where we go in Christ, our identity is one of a royal priesthood. And it's secure, and it, and it, and it, and it should be strengthening as we conform more into the image of Jesus Christ. And, and so before we get to our passage of Scripture this morning, just allow me to define uh, a royal priesthood. Let me define for us what, what being a royal priesthood means. Okay, in, in the theological world, what we're looking at is the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And th- this doctrine, it was the, uh, the, the, the driving thrust behind the Protestant Reformation in the, in the 16th century. Okay, it's, it's the belief here... If you're taking notes, it's the belief that Christ is the only mediator between God and man. Christ is the only mediator between God and man, right? There's, there's no need for a priest to go on your behalf to God. When you become a Christian, you have the ability to go to God the Father through the person and work of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Edwin Bloom, he's a commentator, he said it like this, the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers means that All Christians have immediate access to God, that they serve God personally, that they minister to others, and that they have something to give. And so here are some implications for that just really quickly before we get to our text this morning. The first implication is that you can worship and pray to God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit anywhere at any time. That's incredible, isn't it? We don't have to gather here in this building to worship God. You can worship God at any time and at any place. Secondly is that that God in Christ is the only one with the authority to forgive our sins. Priests can't forgive our sins nor prescribe some process by which our sins are forgiven. There's no penance for us to be paid, praise God. Right? The psalmist declares, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he, God alone, remove our transgressions from us, according to Psalm 103. Right? Jesus alone is the mediator for our sin. Jesus alone is our high priest. The next practical implication that the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers has for our lives is, is that, that, that you can read and understand God's word for yourself, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we grow in that as we're, we're 
we, we faithfully long to understand God's word more and more and more. But by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in you, you can read and understand God's word for yourself. It's a precious gift, isn't it? And then the final implication is that you can serve God anywhere, anytime, anyplace. You can serve God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, so those are some of the implications of being a royal priest. And so with that, let, let me get to our actual text this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to kind of go through this text for a few minutes. But the Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. He says this. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and evil and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in Scripture, and he quotes the Old Testament in here, right? Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I thank you that we can have confidence in you because you are the great I am. And Lord, you define our identity in you that you made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. So thank you for saving us. Thank you for depositing your Holy Spirit in us, Lord. And I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word, that you would give us understanding and, Lord, that we would take this passage of Scripture, we would apply it to our lives, and we would, we would be conformed more into your image, and we would live out of the strength of knowing that our identity as a royal priest is secure in you, no matter where we go. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the, the Apostle Peter here, he, he's writing to, to Christians. Uh, Somewhere between 60 and 68 A.D., he's, he's writing to Christians here who, who are being persecuted for their profession um, of faith in Christ, okay? And, and the Christians, according to the Scriptures, they were enduring insults. They were, uh, um, uh, there was slanderous accusations of wrongdoing that, that were leveled against them. There were beatings. There was social ostracism. There was sporadic mob violence and even uh, possibly some, some local police um, brutality um, that was directed toward them, okay? And so the Apostle Peter, he, he's, he's writing um, uh, to Christians here in the midst of uh, these first century Christians. And remember, Christianity, this is, these are the beginnings of Christianity, right? And, and he's writing in the midst of this, this hostile um, environment, 
that these Christians are having to endure. And, and it's interesting to me when I think about that is the, the question that I ask when I'm reading this text is, what, what's Peter's method to encourage a church that's going through this stuff? What, what, what was, what was the, the way that, that uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he thought, man, I, what's the best way to, to encourage and to strengthen this church to be who she ought to be in the midst of... of, of um, of a hostile culture, of a hostile environment. And listen to some of the things the Apostle Peter says. I'm going to read a, a, a brief passage of Scripture that's right before the text that we're looking at currently, and then I'm going to read one that's, that's almost immediately after the text that we're studying this morning. But he says this in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. He says, "...knowing that you were ransomed..." from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times, get this, for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And then later in chapter 2, after the text that we're studying this morning, he says this. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Right? We could spend the entire day just learning from Peter on how to counsel one another in the faith, right? How to encourage one another to persevere in the faith here. And just as a side note here, I would encourage you just with your families, a, a great Sunday afternoon activity would be to go through these five chapters of First Peter. You could, you could read all five chapters in less than 30 minutes to really get the context and to, to really wrestle with and th think through what the Apostle Paul is saying to the early church. And I know it, it's, an, it's impossible to do this, but just for a moment... Try to put yourself in the shoes of the first century church here. Right? Think of how they would receive a letter like this from the Apostle Peter. Think of the, the temptations that you might face if you were enduring the persecution that they were enduring. Right? Think of the, 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 the lies that you could easily believe if you were facing the opposition that the first century church was facing. The temptation to, to abandon our profession of faith, right? The temptation to compromise, the temptation to waver. Now think of our culture today, right? We, our culture is extremely hostile to the tenets and the implications of our Christian faith. Right? I've said this before, we can proclaim uh, Jesus as Lord all day long and nobody cares. But when you get into what that actually means, what that proclamation actually means... It's either going to be met with a warm acceptance because the Holy Spirit is the one that's sovereign over how people receive that message or it's going to be met with hostile rejection. That's what happens when we're faithful to steward the Word of God. And the rejection, the text later indicates that God's sovereign even over the hostile rejection, amen? God, He isn't surprised by that. He ordains it. Okay, but because of those who... Those who aren't in Christ are hostile to the tenets or the implications of Christianity. The pressure to compromise our identity and our profession of faith is it's constant. It comes from our government, 
right? It, it, it comes from our family. It comes from our friends. It, there's spiritual warfare involved in it. And it comes from our own sinful flesh that's, that's slowly dying away, right? The pressure to compromise is, is constant. It's constant. From both internally and externally, it's constant. And it can be easy to, to forget our identity as royal priest in the midst of all that and become, as Hebrews chapter 3 says, deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, so, so, so what the Apostle Peter's aim is, his aim is to remind the persecuted church of her position as royal priest because of their salvation in Christ so that she can live faithful to her perfect profession in the midst of a hostile culture. All right, so in Peter's encouragement to the early church, it's still relevant today, Right? This encouragement that the Apostle Peter's given, it's still relevant to us today. And, and, and by God's grace, Coastal Community Church, and I don't mean Coastal Community. When we say Coastal Community Church, we don't mean the organization. We mean you and us. We, we should be committed to reminding one another of our identity in Christ so that we can persevere, persevere by God's grace in our profession of faith. That's what Coastal Community Church, that's one, one of our aims so look with me at our text as we work through it. I want to pull away just a few takeaways that I, that I pray will encourage you this morning. The first three verses, it says, the Apostle Peter, he says, so, okay, and we, uh, I read some of the, the chapter in, in chapter one where Peter reminds them of the gospel, okay? Now he's getting to some practical applications of the gospel, right? So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Okay, these are, uh, these are, I think, some of the temptations that the church was facing and some of the sins that the church was committing because of the hostility and pressures of society and, again, their own sinful flesh. Okay, and so the Apostle Peter is speaking specifically to it, and we can all point to us committing these sins as well. And then he says, he gives kind of the, the remedy. So put this away, and then like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, so the, the very first thing that, that, that Peter gives that marks a royal priest is growth. Okay, Christians grow in their longing for the Word of God. Christians grow in their longing for the Word of God. And I think there's three ways contained in, in these first three verses here that, that the Apostle Peter kind of teases that thought out. The ways that, that, that we grow in our longing for the Word of God is by, one of those ways is by recognizing and repenting of sin, according to verse 1, right? He says, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, e envy, slander. And it's certainly not an exhaustive list. Right, but this is this is a mark of genuine salvation. Right? Do you see your sin? Do you have have sorrow over your sin? Not 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 from guilt or condemnation. Right? Romans eight one says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but because because of your growing reverence for God. Right? Pastor Sean, a few weeks ago, he he uh, pointed us to Isaiah chapter 6, and I love that passage of Scripture because we can pull so much stuff from it, but the closer Isaiah draws to the throne room of God, and he's, he's in the presence of God himself, and he sees the seraphim that can't even gaze on the glory of God, he confesses what? Woe is me, or I'm unclean, and I live amongst a people who are unclean. 
right? He recognizes his sin. He has sorrow over his sin. He hates his sin because God, because God hates his sin, right? And, and, and we know that in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are found in him. So are you growing in your hatred for sin because of God's hatred for sin? Are you confessing and turning away from sin? Are those things evident in your life? I think in the the, the 21st century church, and it's, I'm sure it's not um, unique to us necessarily, but it's easy for us to lose our reverence for God, isn't it? It's so easy for us to lose our, our reverence for God. We've become so casual just about how we approach God. And, and a lot of us do it in, in rebellion to some legalistic background that we've grown up in, right? We don't want to be legalistic in the way that we worship and in the way that our faith is, and so we want to rebel against that and kind of move to the other side. Legalism is, is, is telling someone to do something that isn't found in Scripture and acting as if it is found in Scripture. Right? Reverence for God, hatred and sorrow for sin, that's found in the Scripture. Right? We, we need to understand as believers that, that we're justified only by the person and work of Christ. And, and, and because of that, we're freed up to worship God reverently and respectfully and humbly as we, we take serious sin in our lives. Not, not, not to be casual about our relationship with the Lord. Right? God didn't save us to, to be casual. Sunday morning, what we're doing here as believers, this is a serious time together. Say serious God-ordained time together that we have to, 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 to savor Jesus for who he is. Right? So it's, a, it's a time to be convicted of sin so that we can conform more into the image of Jesus. It's a, it's a time to, to confess together the tenets of the Christian faith. That's what we're doing when we're singing. We're confessing together. Right? That's what we do when we read the Word of God. We're confessing together. That's what we do when we're... we're Amening the guy preaching is we're confessing in agreement that the words of God are true and they're accurate and they're applicable to our lives, right? And Sunday morning, it should just be an overflow of our reverence and our, and our seriousness with how we, we, we are in our relationship with God throughout the week, right? I love Sunday morning because I, it, it's... It's for me, it's the culmination of what we're doing from the rest of the week, right? As we're laboring in the faith by God's grace, as we're growing in our seriousness of the faith, and we're looking forward to Sunday morning corporate worship. So it's just like a volcano getting ready to explode on Sunday morning when we all have this time to meet together, be together, and, and, and express our faith together that it's true, and link arms, and encourage one another, and, and glorify God. And I think we can only do this if we <clears throat> do the second part, which is found in verse 2, right? Christians grow in their longing for God's Word by understanding their need for God's Word the way an infant craves milk. That's what verse 2 tells us, right? The way an infant craves milk. Right? Are, you, are you growing as a Christian? Are you, are you growing in your craving to hear the Word of God preached faithfully? Right? Are, you, are you growing in your desire to know God's Word so that you can know God better. Not just so you can get more knowledge and and impress people with your intellect, but knowing the Word of God so that you can know the God that you worship. And I love the picture the Apostle Peter gives us. Gives us an infant craving milk. My my wife and I are expecting our first child, a, a little baby boy, and we're 
perusing some of the, the yes, thank you, the, uh, we're um, perusing some of the books on, on parenting, and we're theoretically learning about the, the demands of an infant, and um, <clears throat> a, a baby eats a lot, um, is what we're finding, and, and, and it's, you put the baby to sleep, and then you wake the baby up, and you feed it, you put the baby to sleep, and you feed it, and you put it to sleep, and you feed it, and you put it to sleep, and so on and so forth is pretty much the summary of all, all, the, all the books, but You get, you get the picture there. But, but the infant ha- has to constantly eat, right? That's, that's a very important part of keeping the baby alive, right? The, is that right? I'm just checking. Um, but the, the infant longs for milk. The infant longs for milk. And, and I love that Peter uses that because how much more should we long for the very word of God. That's what he's saying. As an infant craves milk, how much more should we crave the very word of God? Do we crave the word of God as a baby craves pure milk? Do we understand that its words are life-giving? Do we feel famished when we haven't feasted on it? Right? Do, you, do you understand that it's living and active? Do we grasp that it's sufficient for everything in this life and the next? Right? I, I was reading this morning in Psalm 19, and in this, one of the verses in Psalm 19, uh, the psalmist says, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. I open my mouth and I pant because I long for your commandments. And Christians long for the very words of God. Okay, Christians grow in their longing for God's word by remembering the goodness and faithfulness of God and salvation, according to the third verse there, right? It says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, right? The implication there is twofold. It's if you're a Christian, this will be evident in your life. And then secondly, the implication there is remember this. Remember that you've tasted that the Lord is good, right? Nothing Nothing stirs my soul and my affections for Christ more than when I stop and think of, of how grateful I am that he saved me. I'm so grateful that God saved me, right? I've tasted that the Lord is good only because it was a complete gift from God. Just stop and think about that and savor that for a moment. Everyone in here who calls themselves a Christian, you call yourself a Christian not because you were smart enough to get it. You call yourself a Christian because it was God's gift to you. It was God's gift to you. Right? Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And God, before the world as we know it, before it was even created, he chose to save you and he chose to save me, right? He, he did this not because anything found that was, that was good in us. He did this to the praise of his glorious grace, right? God chose to save wretched, rotten Joey according to the purpose of his will. Think about that, right? And if, if God is faithful in saving us, if God's faithful in salvation, it's kind of the greater to the lesser argument. How much more faithful will he be in all circumstances in our lives as royal priests, right? It's that consideration driven by the Spirit of God that led the persecuted church in the first century to persevere in their faith, right? It's that consideration that causes our brothers and sisters who are being martyred all around the world currently to persevere in their faith, to not recant their profession. Right? It's that consideration that the Lord will use to strengthen and persevere us 
in the faith. This is God's gift to royal priests. And secondly, and I promise these last two points here will go um, a bit more quick, but secondly, as Christians have union with Christ. Christians have union with Christ. And this is something that should, uh, I think should be preached on more in churches all over the world, right? Let me, let me, go, through a few, let me go through these verses and I'll explain to, this to you just a, a, a bit more because the Apostle Peter, and then I'm going to take you to where Jesus kind of also, I'm going to show you where the Apostle Peter is getting this from. But verses 4 through 8, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ, where it stands in Scriptures. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you... is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, like I said earlier, as they were destined to do. Okay? Um, Peter here, he's being strategic with the imagery. right? He's using the living stone. He's, he's talking about Jesus, and then he says we're like living stones, which is our union with Christ here I'm going to talk about in a minute. But he also uses the, the term spiritual house and spiritual st- sacrifices. right? And so stick with me just for a moment here because this is a lot of Old Testament language. But the living stone is Christ. Okay, And, and earlier in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus applies this imagery to himself. And in Matthew 21, 42, it says, When he, Jesus, states, um, uh, Have you never read in the Scriptures... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Okay, he's, he's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22, and he's applying it to himself. Right? Jesus is the fulfillment of that psalm, and Peter is in agreement with him later on. Okay, Jesus, he's the living stone that was rejected by the false religious leaders of his day, and Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Right? Jesus alone, Jesus alone is the foundation of, on which the church is built, and it's an unshakable foundation. All right, Peter, uh, he confesses this before Christ's death, and I love this in Matthew 16, and I think Pastor Sean mentioned this a few weeks ago, right? And, and I think when Peter um, was penning what we're looking at this morning, our text, I think he had this encounter with Christ in, in mind, but just take that as Joey's opinion. It says, He, Jesus, said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And I love this part, right? We, we alluded to this as well in the singing earlier. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen? Right? Nothing, absolutely nothing will prevail against the kingdom of God on earth or in heaven. Right, the battle's over. Jesus declared it. It's finished. Not it's almost finished, but it's finished. Jesus is victorious, and our profession and faith in Him it not only won't be shaken, but it's impossible for it to be shaken. It's impossible for it to to, to be disturbed or compromised or defeated or weakened or anything. No matter the the political or the cultural climate of the day, the enemies of God are mere pawns in the hands of our sovereign Lord. The second imagery he gives us is the spiritual house, right? The spiritual house, according to 1 Peter, it's being built up. That's what's going on now. Christians are the spiritual house being built by God's sovereign will. Okay, God's 
localized place on earth throughout the Old Testament, the temples that we see throughout the Old Testament, they've been replaced, okay? And they're not coming back. They've been replaced by his indwelling in believers. We're the temple of God, right? The, the, the temples of the Old Testament, they were early and earthly pictures pointing to the day that God dwells inside of us through his Holy Spirit. And so as, as, a, as a royal priest... You're, you're a spiritual house of God. You're a spiritual house of God. That's why Pastor Sean's adamant about us understanding that this church, this building is not the church, right? We're the church. This building is where the local church gathers, but it's not the church. The new building we're moving to is not the church. It's a place God's church gathers to worship, but we're the church. We're Coastal Community Church. We're the spiritual house of God because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, okay? And because you're a spiritual house of God, you can offer what the Apostle Peter says, spiritual sacrifices, right? The material sacrifices, they're now superseded. The Old Testament spoke of offerings of prayer and thanksgiving and praise and repentance in addition to material sacrifices and offerings. But the New Testament speaks of the offering of faith, speaks of material gifts as a, a fragrant offering. Offering speaks of your bodies as a living sacrifice, um, a sacrifice of praise. The conversions of the Gentiles are referred to an offering acceptable to God, and it refers to Paul's coming death as a drink offering. Right. So here's the practical application of this passage for us. Both Peter and Christ, when I was quoting Matthew here, they're using Old Testament language and they're ascribing it to Christ, and they're also ascribing some of that Old Testament language to Christ's church. Okay. And a true church is built only on the profession that Jesus is Lord as dictated by the Scripture. Okay, so Jesus is the living stone. And our text uses the language to describe, to say that we're like living stones. Christians' lives we're, are, are inseparably identified with Christ's life, right? That, that's our union with Christ. It's not just that Jesus lived a perfect life, was persecuted, was crucified, died, buried, and rose again, but our lives are so closely connected with the life of Jesus Christ that it's as, as if we live and we died and we rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit so that when God the Father looks on us, He doesn't see me, He doesn't see you, He sees Jesus, right? God through Christ fulfills the demands of the law. He provided a mediator and he tore the curtain of the temple from top to bottom and reconciled to us to himself so that we can worship him anywhere and at any time. And that's made possible because Christians have union with Christ. That's the significance of Galatians 2.20 when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave me for himself. Christians have union with Christ. Our lives are closely identified with that of Jesus Christ, that our Savior. And then finally, a Christian's identity is unchangeable. Our identity as a royal priesthood is, is unchangeable because our, our God is unchangeable. Okay? A Christian's identity is unchangeable because their God is unchangeable. The last two verses here says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. I love this passage of Scripture. We can break it down and we can see that we're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. 
right? And, and this is talking about Jews and Gentile Christians. It talks about being a holy nation. The Apostle Peter is thinking Jew and Gentile Christians. That's God's people. That's his nation. A people for his own possession. We're out of darkness. We're in the marvelous light. We're mercy recipients. Right? This is our identity in Christ. Why? How? Our text says, because of him who called you. That's why we're those things. Because of him who called you. And the God who called us is the same God who says in Malachi 3, 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, and get this, Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Because God doesn't change, we're not consumed. The Hebraic author in Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of my favorite commentators of Scripture, Matthew Henry, he says Christ is the same in the Old Testament day, in the gospel day, and will be so to his people forever. And so what can we do in response to that glorious truth of being a royal priesthood? According to Peter, we may proclaim the excellencies of God. We may proclaim the excellencies of God. You do that here on Sunday morning when we sing and reverently listen to the word of God being preached, right? You do it in your small group when you wade through the depths of God's word and you apply it to your life. You do that when you obey the word of God. You do that when you serve other people. You, you do that when you share the gospel. You, you do that when you love your spouse. You do that when you raise your children to love God in his word, right? Our identity as royal priests has, has a meaning and a purpose for us here and now. God not only has given us a new name, but he's purposed us with the task of telling the nations that the gospel is for them. The gospel is for them. We have this opportunity to invite people to take on the name of royal priesthood made possible to us by God's son, Jesus Christ. And we are coastal because God through Christ has given us that name, royal priests. And that will never change. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for that identity. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's unshakable. We can have confidence in it. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to live out our identity, our profession of faith, as we aim to persevere by the power of your Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And so we give you the praise, we give you the glories producing us, this longing for your word, this reverence for your word, as we seek to reach the nations with the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.